This is The Guardian. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is... Another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This week, why has gaming taken over pop culture? I played for five minutes. Still see falling blocks in my dreams. Bowser is coming. I'm not afraid. I'm just not that kind of crop. No! Tetris, 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 Tetris. You're listening to Pop Culture with me, Shantae Joseph, for The Guardian. The Super Mario Bros, Dungeons & Dragons, Tetris, The Last of Us. These are all TV programs and films that are based on games. The gaming girls are absolutely taking over TV and film right now. But what is it about gaming that is so popular? What was the last game you played? Probably Sims. I used to bang out Sims. Oh, Sims? Oh, Mm. that that is a big game. Timmy and Joey are from the Nerd Council, a podcast that covers all things gaming, comics, anime, and film. These guys are absolute gaming nerds. So, of course, they're the best people to tell me why gaming is so glorious. First and foremost, I see gaming as an art form. Gaming is very much in the same vein as generic art or music. It's something that people put together and created and they tell these beautiful stories, fascinating stories, scary stories, wherever it is, and it allows you to be immersive in these narratives and storylines and these worlds that they've built. And sometimes you can, you know, there have been days where I've gone like 10, 12 hours mm. playing the game just because I'm that deep into what's going on. Mm. It's, not the, it's not the most healthiest thing, don't get me wrong, but it's sometimes you're just so immersed in the characters and the interactions with each other and the gameplay that you just kind of get lost in that. I would, in a past life, you know, consider myself somewhat of a gamer. <laughs> you somewhat know? of a gamer. I, I had the consoles growing up. I had the Game Boy, if it was my first one, and then the GameCube, and mm. then a PSP, a Nintendo DS, a Wii. But growing up, I feel like, because I haven't gamed in so long, my idea of games was like Crash Bandicoot, Final Fantasy, 
Super Mario, of course. Ray, Rayman. Did you hear Ray, Rayman? Rayman was great. I used to love These that some good game. Picks, I'm surprised. For you guys, do you remember the first game that you played yes. that got you hooked? <laughs> and what are some of your favorite games? I'm 29, 1993. I vividly remember playing N64. Mm. That was probably, I always say, it's the best multiplayer console ever. Games like GoldenEye, Mario Kart, Smash Brothers, mm. Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. Oh my days, Legend of Zelda. Yeah. I think for me, was playing um, Jet Set Radio at my cousin's house on the Sega. Mm. That was like the first, first game I could probably remember playing. That game was... Everything to me at the time. It was it was skateboarding. It was graffiti. It was like it was antisocial in the <laughs> best way possible. How would you guys describe a gamer? Like when you think of someone who is a stereotypical gamer, what comes to mind for the both of you? Stereotypical, mm, yeah. And what is a gamer? Those are two different okay, things. What is a point. gamer then? So a gamer is someone who plays games point blank period. Mm-hmm. If you play games, you are a gamer. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to del- delve into the realm of like being a softcore gamer, a casual gamer, a hardcore gamer, oh, terms. you know these these you then have you know <laughs> terms and conditions that come with it. All those kind of like labels, as it were. But right. I don't think we can use the label stereotypical gamer anymore because mm. gamers look different, play differently. There are so many different types of people who play games that yeah. there's no one person who fits the look of what a gamer is. Yeah. And I love that you bring that up because you kind of make an interesting point where it's like, we can't ascribe anyone a stereotypical gamer anymore because it's so different now. Mm. Part of that for me feels like there's been a shift in kind of how we consider gamers and gaming as something that was like, you did it when you were young and if you did it into your adult life it was like maybe a bit niche or a bit weird but now everyone is gaming it's a thing that people have fully embraced as a like a hobby why has this shift happened when we were playing games gaming wasn't necessarily something that was marketed towards young people in general it was marketed towards like a late teen early adult type market because of those people who were making games and were in the games industry but it's obviously become more accessible to everyone and that's allowed for people to see gaming as not just a hobby, it can be a full-time career for a lot of people. Yeah. It can be a part-time career for a lot of people as well. It's been a lot of evolution in the industry and outside the industry and socially that's allowed for gaming to get to where it is at the moment. Right. And so how do you make money as a as a gamer, as a, Ooh, a part-time or full-time gamer? <laughs> it depends. So a lot of people will do something called streaming, so they'll stream games live okay. to an audience. Do you essentially have gaming influencers who make like will games pay people to be like promote this game yes before i used to play consoles and they weren't connected to the internet like Mm. my playstation my ds or whatever it was kind of me just playing this thing by myself and i could play like i could play with my friends if i was next to them because i remember the ds had like a bluetooth thing where you could like Mm -hmm. play with other people but outside of that you were kind of doing on your own now there are loads of games that are online that are multiplayer games and so there are more gamers kind of interacting with each other than they were before and do you feel like this has built a sense of community amongst individuals that game has this been kind of instrumental to their being a gaming community it's definitely enhanced and increased that community now you can go beyond that you can play internationally play People make friends, find partners. Really? We find love through gaming. Yeah. Maybe this there's, is what I need to do. Put down the <laughs> yeah. hinge and pick there up. There is literally the case studies online that you'll find of mm. 
me and my partner connected over Call of Duty. Oh my God, I'm doing it wrong. And so, yeah, <laughs> as the internet came in, just increased the community, more connections. And then, yeah, even I found friends on online playing yeah, Call of Duty. And so I want to move into the space that is now gaming and film and TV. I watched The Last of Us and, you know, I, I think I was encouraged to watch it by you, Joey. 100%. We like, started with The Walking Dead. Yes, yes, yes. We started with The Walking to Dead. Before for The Last of Us. And yeah, then I started watching The Last of Us and I, I absolutely loved it. For you guys in general, how do you feel about the way that gaming is now becoming a huge part of what we see as like, TV and entertainment and film? I think the issue comes with what games get chosen to be adapted. Mm. I think the games that have a sense of realism work better than it's games that are based on a lot more fantasy. Mm. The issue is they always want to do live action, in-person yeah, stuff. Yeah, they don't respect the animation craft. Right, yeah. Did you finish The Last of Us? Yes, I did. I literally, because and that was coming out weekly as well. So yeah. I remember I used to watch it like Good every right week. There. I really loved it. They rushed that ending. They rushed that Do ending. you think? The first season is pretty much the first game. So right. beat for beat, they added more details for some things, but some parts they did rush part because I did feel like they could have had at least two more episodes to mm -hmm. fully flesh out the relationship between Joel and Ellie. What hasn't been adapted into a uh, film that you think would be really, really good? Amazon got God of War, so you yes, can't really they did. say that. Yes, they did, yeah. God um, of War. Horizon Zero Dawn could be very good. But what happens in Horizon Zero Dawn? So Horizon Dawn? Zero Dawn is like a dystopian, dystopian sci-fi game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a beautiful game. Beautiful game, beautiful gameplay, really in-depth story and characters. Um, could definitely work for a TV show, but again, it's budget. It's right. going to be about so how... you do it live action. Not necessarily. I wouldn't necessarily do it live action. It's always, it's always going to come down to budget. Joey and Timmy absolutely love the immersive world that gaming provides, and it seems like a lot of that comes from the brilliant narratives that are created in role-playing games. Rihanna Pratchett is an award-winning video game writer. She's worked on Heavenly Sword, Overlord, Mirror's Edge, and Tomb Raider. There's actually a line in there that I wrote. See, I'm not that kind of croft. I wrote that as a kind of fun line, not even knowing what that kind of croft was, but just like, ah, this, this might be a fun line to put in. I asked her how she starts when building the world of a game. It depends on a lot of factors. So it can depend on when you're brought into a game, what kind of genre is the game? A action-adventure cinematic game will need a lot more narrative than, say, your average RTS game or something like that. What's so an RTS game? So a uh, real-time strategy game, timing when you come in, the budget of the game as well will, will sort of change things. So basically, you're, you're, you're just seeing what's there. You mm -hmm. get a a box of narrative body parts pushed across the table to you as as a writer. Mm. You're like, okay, what have we got here? Have we got some, we've got some artwork, we've got a bit of backstory, we've got some levels, and mm. you're sort of, you're just trying to uh, put together the bones of it. Yeah. And you never quite know what, what's going to be there and, and what you've kind of got to fill in. Um, and yeah, you're just pulling it all together and, and trying to sort of shape the story. And at the same time, you're kind of working with the developers and seeing what they're doing in the gameplay, in the level design, um, because I believe everything contributes to the narrative in, in games. So it's not just the word bits and what yeah. we traditionally think of as a script. It, it all contributes to, to the kind of wider story world. And so how much do you, not necessarily worry about, but how much do you think about the gameplay itself? Like how much of the narrative is informed by how people will experience playing the game? 
there's there's quite a bit and you you ideally you will be thinking about it a lot but the interesting thing about working for games as opposed to, to writing for movies or tv is mm-hmm. when you're writing for movies and tv we say action equals character so you know what the character does tells you as much about them as as what they say mm. but in games action is dealt with by a completely different department and they may not really be caring too much about narratives that that may not be their first priority they'll be having their own kind of battles to make the the kind of gameplay fun and engaging for the players so You've you've kind of got this this main facet that you would have working for other mediums. It's a completely different department, mm. so that's quite difficult to balance. So you've got to try and keep one eye on what the gameplay is doing and what the gameplay is saying about the narrative. So the sort of academic term is ludo narrative dissonance. Ludo narrative dissonance, and it basically means when the game is saying one thing mm-hmm. and the narrative is saying another, um, and. Uh, we, we came across this a little bit actually in Tomb Raider in, in something that, that I've talked about quite a lot, which was Lara's first kill. From a from a narrative perspective, we wanted this to be quite emotional and impactful and uh, we wanted to her to be kind of reflecting on taking a human life. But the gameplay and level design ended up wanting to put a lot more kills. The narrative saying, this matters uh, to Lara. And the gameplay was saying... Yeah, it doesn't matter that much. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's Ludo da- narrative dissonance. So that's really interesting because I think you bring that up in the the game instance. But how did you feel about the Tomb Raider film adaptations? Because you worked on both the games and the comics. Um, yeah, so it, it's really it was really fun to see what they'd taken from the game in, in the the film, and actually, it's, it's they take stuff from both um, the reboot and from Rise of the Tomb Raider, and actually a little bit of stuff from the comics as well, which is fun to see. Um, there are definitely moments in the movie where you go that that could have been taken from the game, and it was also like personally fun to me to see her saying that I'm not that kind of Croft line um, because I wrote that. I'm just not that kind of croft. I just did. Yeah, that that that, that seems like a, an interesting line that could kind of lead on to more. And eventually that wow. got into the game and then in the movie. So. Crazy. <laughs> I love seeing Lara with some good arm muscles. Mm. I'm always really impressed by, <laughs> by women with arm muscles because it's so hard to get. And, you know, I know uh, Alicia Vikander worked, was like very determined to put on a lot of muscle for the role. And, and, and God love her. I think that that worked really well. What are your opinions or your feelings on this crossover between game tv and film that we're starting to see now well i think games are a perfect um vehicle for particularly for tv because in games we are creating worlds and as players you know you're maybe seeing a fraction of it and some of how we create those worlds is kind of smoke and mirrors mm. to a degree we're making players feel like the world is is bigger and more populated and with a lot of things going on, almost like just around the corner, you can kind of imagine it. And that's sort of what the skill of what we have to do as as uh, game designers is kind of mm. create this feeling of a world. I think games are great fodder, particularly for TV, because you're getting to explore those worlds in more detail. Yeah. And I think when it's game-led, we're getting better results um, because you know the game has kind of built the bones of the world, the characters, mm. and then the TV series can, can fill, it, fill it out.
we're going to kill the game here. And when we respawn, we'll find out where else gaming has taken over in our lives. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready players? It's clear the gaming industry is huge and has some very talented people working in it. But is this crossover into pop culture just a momentary trend? Or can it last and even grow? It's only the hottest takes from The Guardian Games Editor. Keza McDonald is the video games editor at The Guardian. Whenever we talk about the games industry, we tend to point out how much money it's worth, mm. which is a lot of money. You know, it's worth <laughs> something like $350 billion That's right now. That's billions. It's, it's a ton of money, and it's more than TV and Hollywood combined. And it's been that way since the mid-2000s. But actually, that's like the least interesting way to talk about video games, if you ask me. For me, it's about their cultural impact. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have 3 billion people in the world play games now. And the people who used to play games as kids are now 40 or even older And so we're seeing the cultural impact of games kind of appear in different places, which is Mm. one of the reasons we're seeing like a big rise in the number of film and TV adaptations and even novels like Gabrielle Zevin's Tomorrow, Tomorrow and Tomorrow was a novel very much informed by video game culture. So I think that it's, you know, gaming is huge in terms of money, right? It's huge in terms of numbers. But for me, it's more like become a part of the lives of so many people, like something like 90% of people under 20 play games. And Damn. once you get to people under kind of 35, it's 76%. And then it kind of gets a bit smaller the higher mm. up you go. But like overall, more than half of the people in the UK play video games in some way or form. I was thinking about the Black Mirror series. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a series. It was an episode where they kind of, it involved you as the viewer deciding which path the character should take. And it feels, that felt so influenced by gaming. And I think how gaming can intersect with our regular, regular lives and how normal things will become like gamified. That Black Mirror episode... Um, which is called Bandersnatch. A little yes. known fact is that uh, Charlie Brooker used to be a video games journalist. No he started way! Off, he did. He started off on a magazine called PC Zone. So like Charlie oh Brooker God. knows games. He knows games. He knows game development. And he wrote mm-hmm. an amazing episode of interactive TV about like what making a game is like. Yeah. People think there's one reality, but there's loads of them all snaking off like roots. And what we do on one path affects what happens on other paths. Time is a construct. People think you can't go back and change things, but you can. And so... 
I guess going back a bit, there is now more of a aligning in the worlds of TV, film and gaming. Kind of now feels like it's being done really well. Like, why do you think this is? I think it is something new that video games are being adapted well into TV mm, and film. Like, okay. we've been seeing video game adaptations since the 90s. Most of them are appalling, like, you know... <laughs> stunningly appalling like interestingly appalling you watch them and you're like what even happened there you know like <laughs> so bad um and then it's been getting you know some of them are kind of average and then but only recently are we seeing ones that are actually good mm. and i think this is partly because there's just a little bit more respect for video games from hollywood and from tv but also the people who are now showrunners who are scriptwriters, who are making tv and film these are people who grew up with video games mm. right these are people who have respect for video games who understand them who probably play them and so we're seeing a, just a much higher quality range of adaptations i just think it's because the people who are making them play games as well and understand them better now mm. which i don't think was the case in the 90s but it's also interesting because the last guest i had on they spoke a bit about the reason why some film adaptations of games don't do well is because they want to make it like real life as opposed to keeping it in the animation format and they kind of feel like trying to make something like with real people as opposed to animations kind of takes away from some of the magic involved in the game would you say like part of that's true I think sometimes, then again, you have a film like Detective Pikachu, which takes mm -hmm. an animated world and made it all realistic in a really like intriguing and visually interesting way with real mm. people. And they really nailed that. And then you have something like Sonic the Hedgehog, which they had to go back to the drawing board yeah. and redo the whole character because Sonic had weird teeth. He was too realistic. It was not okay. It was, <laughs> it was awful. So yeah, I feel like maintaining the spirit of the game, whatever that is, whether it's the aesthetic spirit or whether it's the playfulness of the game, whatever the game's about. I mean, obviously The Last of Us, not playful. Mm. but very much preserved the spirit of it it preserved what it looked like it preserved the lighting it preserved the mood and that's that's really what you've got to do when you're adapting anything right you can't maybe preserve the the letter and line of the content but you can certainly preserve the feeling and the mood of the thing that's how you do an adaptation well right and can you give examples of when it's been done really well and they've taken into consideration all of those aspects and examples where it's been absolutely terrible the last of us really is the the gold standard now yes it's so good she's it's that just girl, so good. honestly it's, it's honestly so good. And it's partly because I think they, they involved the director of the game in making the TV series. You have a lot of really good TV writers and movie writers who come into games to write games and Incredible. make something really unusual and something that comes at things from a different angle from how a game writer might see it. When it's done incredibly poorly, I mean, I really have to go back to the original Super Mario movie from mm. the 90s. I mean, <laughs> just essentially somebody gave that film to a pair of rogue directors who already had a sci-fi film about something else made mm. up and they just kind of tried to smoosh mm. Mario license and a bunch of big name actors into a completely bizarre story and world that had nothing to do with the game at all. And it was just fascinatingly bad. Just mm -hmm. so terrible. Name, Mario. Last name. Mario. Okay, what's your name? Luigi. Luigi, Luigi? No, Luigi Mario. It's interesting because, like, I think, obviously, gaming is so huge now that you can't ignore it. And the guest that I had on before, Timmy, he was saying, you know, that gaming is, is an art form. But do you think there is, like, a bit of kind of snobbery in the rest of the sort of entertainment industry when it comes, comes to gaming? I think there is definitely snobbery from some of the entertainment industry and, indeed, some of the media mm -hmm. when it comes to games. You know, I've been a games journalist for 18 years, 
And over that time, I have I've had so many skeptical radio producers or TV producers or whoever just ask me incredibly patronizing questions about video games. I remember at mm-hmm. one point I was on the radio talking about Grand Theft Auto Five, and mm. the presenter interrupted me and said, "Oh, when I speak to people like you, I really do think, why don't you read a book?" Huh? Yeah, and uh, this assumption that video games are like low culture, the people who like games don't also read books. You know, <laughs> that is a, you know a really retrograde attitude. Like people who like games are people who do all kinds of stuff. You know. Um, and I think that the respect for games in wider culture has basically just grown as gamers have grown up, right? Mm-hmm. There are games about anything. They're, they're, they're a vector for the communication of human experience, like any art. And depending on what the creator's intent is, they can create something that really connects you to another person's experience and builds empathy. Because you're literally in someone's shoes when you're playing a game. You are that yes. character. And that has real power narratively certainly and then you also have creators who are trying to create playgrounds in which people interact interestingly and then on top of that you have creators who are more interested in building a world with interesting rules and seeing what people do with that and then the story then is the world the story that you create within the game and the things that you do and that's your story so games are very wide very broad art form yeah and they can be all kinds of things really In terms of like the numbers, how are these kind of big blockbuster games doing at cinemas? So traditionally, game adaptations have kind of fallen flat. Mm. If you look at the Tomb Raider movies, which kind of, you know, every few years someone will make a Tomb Raider movie. Nobody really understood, in my opinion, what made Tomb Raider good. Like they made movies, they made very generic action movies. And they always kind of fell a bit flat. They didn't do so well. That was generally the curse of the video game adaptation, right? Not only did it get critically panned, Mm. but people didn't show up in cinemas. And that's really been the case up until very recently. I think Detective Pikachu is an example of a film that did well. The Sonic movies, the Sonic animated movies have both done well. I'm telling you, that Mario movie that's coming out this week is going Yeah, have you seen it already? I have not. I'm seeing it uh, with my kid on Wednesday when it comes out. (laughs) I am very excited about it. I grew up with Mario and now so is he, which is beautiful. Intergenerational moment. It's going to be lovely. But that movie is going to make so much money. We've really reached a threshold, I think, where... You know, not only are the adaptations getting better in quality, but like the, the audience is just so huge. Right. Yeah. But I think I think that from now on, as long as people do game adaptations well, there's going to be enormous money in it and a big audience there. When I think about the relationship between gaming and uh, particularly films, I feel like every time there was a big film that came out, I always it was it was always accompanied by a game. Not that much later. I think probably the late 2000s or early 2010s when the video games industry stopped trying to court this legitimization from film. They were like, do you know what? We actually know that we have great stories to tell. We, anyone who plays games or makes them understood that games have power. But yeah, I think that games have always had really excellent stories and really interesting stories within them. It's just that they have been difficult to communicate necessarily mm-hmm. to a wider audience, right? I think there needs to be a certain level of familiarity. You can't really come in completely blind. And now yeah. that level of familiarity with games and the kinds of stories they tell and what they are is just percolated so much through society that that's the shift, I think, for me. Right. What other ways do you feel like gaming has crossed over into the world of pop culture, like be it music or fashion? So, I mean, big fashion houses have, especially in the last few years, really started putting a lot of stuff in games. You know, Animal Crossing had a, I think, a diesel collection. No way. Yeah, Louis Vuitton used Final Fantasy characters to model some of their collections a few years back. Oh, my God. Um, And, you know, fashion people are always looking for, like, cool stuff to cool unexpected stuff to do right and, and mm. video game video game partnerships seem to hold quite a lot of um appeal for some of those um and also some fashion designers have been designing virtual clothes to be sold within virtual worlds gosh yes but you can make a dress that's just on fire 
I think that you have the two kinds of thing. You have like brand partnerships, right? You have people who are like, I want to advertise my thing and I want to mm. do it in a game. I'm going to pay Roblox to put, you know, my thing in the game, which is not very interesting. Mm. And then you have that more interesting artistic organic version of the two things influencing each other. Mm. When you have lots of video game samples turning up in, you know, electronic music, you have, you know, people making um, albums that are highly influenced by a game and like the feeling of it, the vibe of it kind of comes across if, even if not in a sample, like in a vibe, yeah. you have things where novelists are writing about things that have come to them through the experience of play yeah. in a game. So I think that's where the interesting stuff is not in the, the brand partnership stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually really interesting. Gosh, like I had no idea that this kind of crossover was, was happening. I find it really, really interesting. And I, it also makes me think about where things could go like what do future collaborations between gaming and other areas of pop culture like what what could they look like i think we're going to see more things that are halfway between kind of mm. games and tv film like i actually think the walls between what these particular art forms are and how they look are starting to break down mm. there are a lot of games that are very linear like a film you experience the story a to b a director has decided what you're going to experience and that's what you do and there are other right. games that are very freeform and very open and you can kind of do what you want in whatever order. Yeah. And then you have films and TV that are starting to um, bring in elements from the world of video games, especially visually. Like every action movie looks like a video game now to me. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing stuff. And like the, the, the kind of shots that you get and the kind of like immersive first person viewpoint of a game, like a lot of that's coming across in action cinema now that mm -hmm. I see. And then you also see TV such as Bandersnatch becoming a bit more interested in doing interactive or branching narrative the way that a game would. Mm. So I think these the distinctions between these media forms are, I think, going to become kind of less distinct, less yeah. firm over, over the next decade or two. If, like me, you felt that gaming was beyond you, don't. We are basically all gamers now, so be curious and don't count yourself out. The Last of Us was absolutely fire, and I cannot wait to see what game will dominate pop culture next. Because, guys, I honestly think this could be the start of my gaming era. So keep an eye out for me on Twitch, okay? It's game over. I hope you enjoyed playing with us. And if you did, then please subscribe and leave me a review. Before I let you go though, I want to tell you about the Guardians Documentaries newsletter. It's free and for a community of film lovers. It tells you all the latest thought-provoking Guardian documentaries and gives a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the award-winning films. Sign up by going onto our podcast page. This week's episode was produced by Princess Peach Hatimoya, sound design by Bowser Mao Lasetto, original music by Axel Yoshi Kakutie, and the executive producer is Supermaz Evtaj. See you next Thursday. This is The Guardian. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. 
And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.